We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833, the number four, Valdez, my last name, and I'm hoping you'll join the conversation. Uh, We're going to have a few different conversations tonight with a few different people, Uh, so that's coming up straight ahead. But I want to talk about, again, the latest, right? So the latest is that we're still living in this uh, surreal situation where we're indicting a former president who's running for president again. And it's it's clear as day that this wouldn't happen to anybody else but Donald Trump. Uh, why? Well, because there's precedent. No, nobody else has ever been uh, locked up for something like this. It just, just hasn't happened. And I don't think it would happen to anyone else. And there's a lot of questions uh, circling around about who is this Alvin Bragg? Why is he... Uh, doing all of this, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get to all of that stuff. Uh, It looks like there's going to be some congressional inquiry, or at least there's a suggestion that there's going to be a congressional inquiry into Alvin Bragg and his um, uh, abuse of power in in this particular case. So we're going to keep an eye on that stuff. But I I want to get to a little bit of audio that we've got because I think it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of commentary out there, right? Even uh, the funny... The funny uh, mustached lawyer, right? Do you remember that? Ty Cobb. He's a former Trump White House lawyer. He's White House counsel. And he had that, that kind of, uh, you know, the mustache that turns up in the end like, a, like an old pizza guy in Brooklyn. Anyway, uh, Ty Cobb, he was on CNN yesterday. And uh, I think he kept it pretty real. He kept it gangsta, if you, like they say on the street. He was, he was uh, very honest in his, his remarks, in my opinion, because I believe this to be true, where he says that this would never happen to anybody unless they were named Donald Trump. Listen to this. Almost everybody who's looked at it except Alvin Bragg has decided uh, that it doesn't pass the smell test, particularly because it rests so heavily on Cohen. And at the end of the day, I think everybody understands that these particular charges, as contrived as they may be, they wouldn't be brought against any American not named Donald Trump. And that's the part that, as a former prosecutor and a lawyer, troubles me the most because, yeah. um, just because just because you have a bad man, a potentially bad man or somebody who's not well-liked, you shouldn't uh, distort the Justice Department or the justice decisions uh, in order to get him. There you go. Uh, and I agree with that, too. Look, let's just because you don't agree with Trump, you don't like Trump, you think he's orange man bad, whatever it is. You can't just sit there and say, well, because you decided to to have this settlement agreement uh, with an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement for somebody, uh, you know, 
cash in exchange for silence, that that's somehow influencing uh, the 2016 election. I would I would argue, and I think many have, that's exactly what you do when you're running for office. You're trying to influence the outcome of an election for your benefit, right? If you're the candidate, you want people to vote for you and not for the other person. This to me is unthinkable, but this is where we are. And it's interesting. Even even Van Jones is on CNN yesterday. He um, he says that that uh, District Attorney Bragg shouldn't bring charges against Trump until he's charged in Georgia. I, I don't understand all of that. I'm, we're going to give him a chance to explain himself. But uh, it's clear to me a lot of people are looking for an out here because they're realizing when you do something bad to somebody that you don't like, it opens up the door for them to do that to you or to somebody that you do like. That's why you have to play by the rules. And it doesn't matter if you'd like Trump or not. If this becomes the precedent where we now can arrest or indict and press charges against someone that's running for president because we don't like what they're saying and we're going to create this situation where, okay, all of a sudden uh, you're influencing the outcome of an election with this um, what they like to call hush money. I don't like to call it that. They like to call it that. In that instance, this now opens the door to do it to every last Democrat, every last independent, every last libertarian, you name it. This doesn't stop here. Listen to Van Jones. What do you say to that, Van? Because there has been some criticism that, look, the first charges against a former president and the historic nature of it shouldn't come from a local prosecutor who ran as a Democrat and was elected, that the politics of this could overshadow um, other cases, like we know, the DOJ case that is going on. What do you say to that? Well, if anybody is a Republican and they have been afraid that there's some uh, conspiracy, some well-organized conspiracy <laughs> among progressives, uh, they can uh, relax now because you would not start with this charge. Uh, you would start with the charge in Georgia uh, where he was uh, interfering with elections. You would start with the charge that he was helping the insurrectionists in a coup. You wouldn't start with an eight-year-old porn star payoff. So uh, just, again, uh, this is proof, if nothing else, that the progressives are not very well organized. This is not the one you would start with. Uh, that said, uh, I hear my conservative friends saying he's being, they're being overcharged. It's so, so aggressive. It's so terrible. Welcome to my world, folks. Pro, uh, uh, pro prosecutors overcharging, being overaggressive, being ridiculous with, with minor stuff and turning it into major stuff happens every single day in America, every courthouse in America. Uh, I think you want to be consistent now. If you're concerned that this, per, that this particular person named Donald Trump is being overcharged and mistreated by a prosecutor, uh, join the rest of us who are trying to stop that from happening to ordinary people. Look at that. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. And that's exactly it. And he's taking it from the perspective as a, a, um, a prison reform advocate, which he is. But that's exactly the case. They are going to open the door to have malicious prosecution and political persecutions all over the place because they're doing this the wrong way. Right. You want to get Trump. You got to get him on something that's legit. And guess what? I don't think he gives them much leeway for that. Right. It's not like he's a huge criminal. <laughs> he's he was a, he's a former president. He's got a big mouth. He says it like it is. None of that's illegal. And I think this is why they, they hang their hat on these things and they create this hype with people that just don't like him. The media loves it. It becomes a frenzy. And a lot of the media don't like Trump and they, they salivate on this. And, the, and I learned this. No, you know, I've, I've always known it, suspected it, but it became truth. Truth to me. On election night. 2016. It, there was never a moment 
in in my uh, observing politics over the last 20 years that I saw the channels, I was flipping back and forth, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, cable news channels. And I remember sitting on my couch, Fox was blah, 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 blah. When I got to MSNBC and I saw, uh, in particular, who I remember was Cenk Uger from the Young Turks who was on their panel. And the look on his face, he was so distraught, so deflated. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, maybe he suffered, a, you know, some sort of like personal tragedy. But then I saw everybody had this face and, and they realized it, the, the race had not been called for Trump, but it was going to be. And it was at that moment that, that they called Florida for Trump. And it was so genuine, the disdain on their face. And I, I realized, oh, my gosh, these people are they, they're like. They're mad. <laughs> They're just mad. And I thought, my goodness, I mean, I, I didn't like it when Obama won. I didn't like it. When, but I, I don't hang my hat on any politician, right? Life does continue to go on. You know, we can deteriorate the fabric of our society and our country and our history, but we can also work hard to, to restore that and preserve that. So, I, you know, I feel like it, life is what you make of it. But what, what I saw there was, man, these people were depressed. And it was from there that they began to say, you know what, I'm going to make it my life's purpose to make sure this never, ever happens again. Somebody that's an outsider will never beat the system again. And they haven't stopped since that day. And that's what this is all about. Anyway, we're going to connect with uh, Alina Haba. She's one of President Trump's attorneys. Uh, hopefully she's scheduled to be in the next segment unless, you know, there's some pending matters that are legal that prevent her from joining us. She should be here. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. I wanted to get those materials that I gave to the U.S. Attorney's Office and sat for a two-hour interview with them back in 2019, after which, you may have noticed, the Southern District of New York didn't do any business with Michael Cohen. There's a reason for that. He's totally unreliable. That is uh, Robert Costello. Bob Costello was uh, attorney to Rudy Giuliani. He was uh, attorney in, in the Trump world. He was an attorney to Michael Cohen. And uh, he himself is saying... Not reliable. Now, of course, Michael Cohen is the disgraced former attorney of President Trump who uh, was a he is he's been indicted. He was convicted uh, on um, lying and amongst other things. And now he's the star witness in, in uh, the Alvin Bragg case. I want to bring in somebody who's up to speed on this and uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid and everything else that's going on in, in Trump's uh, world with respect to the legal woes. And that's Alina Haba. You can uh, find her at. Haba Law, and that's H-A-B-B-A-Law.com, and she's on Twitter, at Alina Haba. All right, Alina Haba, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's let's uh, get your reaction initially to what you just heard Bob Costello say. I think... I think. All right, I think we, we... Do we have her? Do we? All right. I don't think we have her just yet, or we lost her, <laughs> uh, because the deep state likes to get into these things. And uh, when they start, they just don't stop. But in effect, yeah, it's the former lawyer for Michael Cohen. And uh, 
he he pretty much says, look, I turned things over and uh, this is not a reliable witness. So if, if his own lawyer is saying that, if, if, if that's the word on the street and we know he's a convicted felon, why is Alvin Bragg hanging his hat on this, Alina Haba? Because he's politically motivated. I think that's the answer. Um, you're really looking for anything to the crime so that you can be the one that takes Trump down. That's what happens when Soros gives you a million dollars and backs you and you're making donations in kind. I mean, this is what happens, right? So we're seeing something wrong with our justice system. I took my oath and I meant what I said when I said I would be an ethical attorney. I wouldn't let my any bias come into court. This guy is the opposite. And there should be a serious ethical evaluation I'm glad House committees evaluating him because when you start relying on Michael Cohen, uh, that's a seriously pathetic point in your career. Now, I think also, and you tell me what, what your thoughts are on this, but I feel like this really opens up Pandora's box for everybody. If, if this does go through and they indict Trump, uh, who's to say we're not going to indict every last political opponent yeah. we don't like on old charges? Me, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton actually got an FEC violation when she paid her lawyers to pay for the steel dossier. That's a fact. Okay. Right. So that's a fact. Now, Obama got fined $375,000 for hiding uh, donations as well. Facts. Did they arrest them? No. You know, it's unreal. Look what happened in my case against Hillary Clinton. I, I sued Hillary Clinton to the FBI and what happens to me, I don't even meet the judge and I got sanctioned. You know, these are rough times and we really need to look at DAs that are politically motivated, AGs that are politically motivated and the double standard that is happening in our country. And like you said, this touch, this will both ways. If you want to start opening the door to this, be careful. There's a lot of dirty laundry out there on the other side. And God knows, I don't see the Democrats. I don't care who's running uh, for the Republican side or the Democrat side, frankly, for 20. I don't see it being Joe Biden that's going to win under any circumstance. And he's got a lot of issues that he's going to have. Administration. I mean, it just is what it is. If this is the way they're going to treat the leading candidate. All right, Alina Hobb, I think we're going to try and uh, reestablish the connection with you because it's a little bit shaky. But one of the things that I think, um, and you're 100% right, this opens a, a very ugly door. And I think people, irrespective of party, people need to realize that, oh, my gosh, if we open this Pandora's box and we uh, allow this to happen, this can mess up Democrats and everybody else under the sun for the next 10 or 20 years uh, or for the rest of our lives, if that. Because quite frankly, when you have when you establish a precedent, that's exactly what happens. You've established a precedent. And sometimes uh, establishing a precedent like that is something you just can't come back from. And and uh, I think that's really well said. The other thing that I think is happening here is um, I think Trump was brilliant, in my opinion, politically speaking, coming out in front of this saying, oh, they're going to come get me. They're going to, you know, they're going to cuff me. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. And and it, it's wise of him as a politician um, and, and, and very, very savvy in terms of strategy here. But I think it's put the the onus on the prosecutor's office in New York City to to now say, all right, man, if we were thinking of coming with an attack, we better come now. Otherwise, we're going to look stupid and have egg on our face. Right. I don't know. I think that I think that D.A. Bragg said today uh, no one will 
All right. Yeah, I think she's in a bad zone. That's an, uh, unfortunate. Uh, but uh, we were trying to get to the bottom of what was going on with uh, Alina Haba. That's President Trump's lawyer. And i um, curious to know what, what her comment was going to be about D.A. Bragg. But ultimately, what ends up happening in, in a situation like this, in, in my opinion, uh, is we're going to be, no matter what, it's an ugly situation, right? Whether they indict Trump and, you know, as, as many have, have said, you do it in New York City, you're going to have a, likely a favorable jury um, so they can secure this indictment no matter how flimsy it is. This is something that I think um, we all need to be cognizant of, leery of, because this is, a, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's a game of Russian roulette in many ways. Does this thing end up backfiring on them or not? I don't know. That's a, a political calculation that I think is going to pan out in the days to come. But ultimately, we are going to have to wait and see what happens. Now, Alina Haba was saying um, she wasn't so sure on that because Alvin Bragg made some comments. Go right ahead. Yes, he just made some comments that, you know, he wasn't going to be intimidated and that he was effectively going to double down. Um, He put a statement out, I believe it was yesterday. So I don't think anything gets in the way of people with Trump derangement syndrome, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I think they double down. Yeah. So, yeah. If that's the case, um, they they come they go ahead they bring this this indictment uh, that which they can likely secure. Do you, or do you have that opinion that they could likely secure it, or do you feel like it doesn't? They don't get a conviction. I don't know. I I think that after Bob Costello's testimony, which will debunk their key witness, which in in itself is shocking. Um, I don't know. You know, they're going to have to face themselves in the mirror. These these individuals at the end of the day. There's obviously been a tremendous amount of press. You really can't avoid yeah, knowing there is what no is other happening. News. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I was in court today in New York and I was across the street and uh, I mean, just the amount of press covering my hearing and I was on an AG hearing, not a DA hearing. Uh, you really can't not hear about this. So I think there's a lot of and there should never be pressure in the courtroom or in a grand jury, but. I think people are hearing that, you know, anybody that listens to Michael Cohen and sees him as a credible witness, anybody that sees it like an indictment on a misdemeanor, uh, it's something in a state where he's turning felonies into misdemeanors. Okay, this is a man that's doing the opposite. But now he wants to take a misdemeanor and try and raise it to a felony. New York crime is up so much. This guy is going to get destroyed. Never mind the grand jury and what they do, because I do think. I still have some faith in the American people having common sense, and I think they're fed up. So I don't know. I'd like to think that there's some hope, but um, I know that I've heard from Costello, and he said that the prosecutors were pushing the question. All right. Well, we'll continue on that thread straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Alina Haba, lawyer to President Trump. You can check her out at abalaw.com, and we're going to come back to her and get the scoop on what's going on in Georgia as well. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez on America at Night, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. 
Play it now with Game Pass. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. The octane action in the dust, a new film puts... Our staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Out of 321 emails, they cherry-picked six emails to ask me about. And of course, they took them out of context. When they took them out of context, I told the grand jurors, I don't know whether this will ultimately come to fruition or not, I told them to ask for the entire packet, and I held it up. That's Bob Costello addressing the uh, grand jury and saying that the Manhattan DA rejected much of the materials he brought with him uh, so that he could inform the grand jury of who Michael Cohen really, really is. Our guest is Alina Haba, uh, President Trump's attorney. You could check her out at HabaLaw.com, and you could find her on social media at Alina Haba, A-L-I-N-A-H-A-B-B-A. Alina Haba, um, we, we've heard from Costello. We know that he's, you know, giving his, uh, his testimony, which seems to, in my opinion, um, just shed more light on how discredited Michael Cohen is as a witness. Um, things remain up in the air with this New York prosecution. In, in, from what you see, you know, from, you know, you're, you're the boots on the ground in many ways, um, working in New York and doing whatnot, knowing the system. Um, do you, do you, are you getting the vibe that they have their ducks in a row and they're just being strategic in this delay or, is that just uh, us, you know, waiting with anticipation to find out the next step? No, I, I think that there's a real uh, time limitation that they have and that they're up against. And I think they're rushing to redeem Alvin Bragg, who didn't bring the valuations case. And Mark Pam- Pomerantz brought out that book where he ripped him apart. I yeah. think he's got some political damage to kind of uh, fix. And again, political motivation. This is somebody, you know, who's, um, you know, put into a position based on his policies and politics, and he's not doing well. The state's not doing well. And he's all, he's got a ticking time bomb here. You know, there are statutes of limitations. My understanding is it's passed. Right. I can, I've heard of how they're going to try and squeeze uh, some time out of this, but even under that circumstance, they're almost done. Um, I don't, I don't know what he's thinking, to be honest, but, um, it's a mistake. It would be a very grave mistake and a sad day for our country. If, if in fact, uh, and I think this is an excellent point that you raised about the statute of limitations. Is this an area where they can use prosecutorial discretion and say, well, it's over, but we want to extend it. Or do they have to find some point in time where they can kind of rewind the tape and say, all right, we're going to start from here. Yeah, no, no. Statute of limitations are, are statute of limitations. And it's going to be an immediate grounds for a uh, motion to dismiss. And, and among other things, having uh, the key witness be discredited today by Bob, Bob Costello, 
uh, or yesterday rather, and um, with firsthand knowledge as an attorney, this is not somebody who's speculating. This is somebody who worked with Michael uh, uh, and and knows him and knows that he is um, was under pressure, was pressured to flip, and effectively did and created a story after he admitted he didn't have a story. Stormy Daniels in 2018 admitted she never slept with Trump. I mean, we've got so many layers of nonsense. This was evaluated by federal prosecutors. They didn't bring it. And they passed. This was evaluated. Exactly. This was evaluated by the FEC. The FEC that fined Obama, fined Hillary. They didn't bring any charges. Nothing. They didn't find a campaign violation. So now you've got a state DA trying to have his moment and create something out of nothing, frankly. It's insane. Now, let's uh, quickly, in the couple of minutes we have remaining, uh, give us the scoop on what is going on with this uh, grand jury, special grand jury in Georgia, where the, the, for lack of a better word, the crazy jury foreperson came out and started saying all this junk about Trump. I was like, what is going on here? This is like an SNL skit. I got to tell you, I mean, I'm not on that case either. Obviously, I'm not a criminal attorney. Uh, I'm a civil attorney, but I can say... I, I I reached out and laughed. To, to, I was like, you lucky duck. <laughs> that was something. <laughs> right. I mean, what a joke. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. The way that woman tried to get her five minutes of fame and completely threw their case out, that was absurd. The violations that happened there, absurd. You know, one thing after another. Um, I can't understand how anybody anybody has the face to bring charges after that woman and what she said and did, you know, it was politically motivated. Right. Clear. I, I think I totally agree with you. And, and I, in hearing that, you know, that audio clip, when we played it on the radio, I was like, Oh my gosh, this has got to tank the whole case. But again, I don't know. I talk on the radio all day, you know, you're in court all day. So I'll <laughs> ask you because uh, to me, I'm thinking yeah, I, I, lawyers, if I were a juror, you know, there were lawyers mm-hmm. on that call. Yeah. There were lawyers on that call. I, I didn't, you know, I don't really, it is, it, I understand from from my basically the press and what I've heard. There were lawyers on that call. There was much more to that call. Um, and, and she you still know, said all that stupid got, stuff. That's right. That's right. That, that's crazy. That's right. She should fire yeah. her lawyers. <laughs> it sounds like Probably. bad advice. All right. right so now exactly. let's let's. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, I guess um, as, as much speculation as you, you could provide. Uh, what, what happens from here, you know, in, you know, whether it be political speculation or legal speculation um, yeah. moving forward for Trump? Well, first of all, not really much. Um, you know, this is a moment. It's like many moments that this man has endured. Right. He is uh, running for presidency. You know, don't forget Russia hopes. It was Russia, Russia, yeah. Russia. Then <laughs> it was, you know, he got impeached twice and his he became more more uh, popular with uh, the American people when they impeached him the first and the second time. He is resilient. He is a fighter. And frankly, he's doing very well, which is why this is all happening. Um, so what actually happens? Nothing. What concrete happens? You know, I've gotten this question a lot. Uh, you know, there's an indictment. You still wait and go to trial, right? Like anybody else, you go to trial. And when we're in trial and the team goes to trial and the criminal team and he'll have an amazing criminal team in place, when that happens, guess what? We're going to win. And this guy's going to have a complete disgraced reputation and will have probably caused a lot of disruption that's unnecessary. 
Yeah. Now, it seems to me like this is a, a, a political stunt, and there are two things they're trying to do. One, they're trying to throw a smoke bomb that even if Trump, you know, even if they get this indictment and then he appeals, and I'm sure he'll win on an appeal, um, it wouldn't matter because it would be later on, right, probably post-election because they could delay it. Mm-hmm. And B, they mm-hmm. want this mugshot, or, you know, or whatever they can milk out of this, right. whether it's a perp walk or whatever. Do, do you think, right. um, and I'm thinking if I'm Trump, I give them the best smile, thumbs up and everything in this, you know, in this mugshot. <laughs> I would, but. <laughs> right, to mess I them would. up. I would. Uh, I would, but, but I don't think people re- realize he's mm-hmm. not happy about this, right? Like nobody thinks about, oh, I'm about to get arrested or indicted. Right. This sounds awesome for my political camp. That's not the way. He's a normal person. Sure. Um, this is a sick thing. He's got a ch- he's got children. He's got a teenage child. He's got a wife. He's got people in his life that love and care about him. And this is not a joke. And there's no part of this that he is seeing as a play on his campaign. I mean, if anything, you know, that's more what the, the, the Democrat DA is, is trying to do. I think, of course, it's not working. I mean, if you look at the polls, it's really not working. It's working against them. Yeah. And I guess final question to you is the, you know, a a lot of people are wondering what this is going to be like. I'm looking at Instagram today and I see all these Mm -hmm. pictures of Trump being held back by cops. You know, they're fake, they're Photoshopped and whatnot, but everybody's making Mm -hmm. much to do about nothing. Uh, But what do you think actually happened since we've never been down this road? Uh, Is this like a self-surrender? He walks in. uh, Do they do it virtually for safety reasons? No, I don't think they're going to let him do it virtually. I I couldn't see them letting him do it virtually. I think Mm. the entire reason they want this is for him to come in. That's their moment. Like you said, to sneak the pictures. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that people's image of Donald Trump gets distorted. But quite honestly, I don't know that it will. I think their image of the DA's office in New York is going to get distorted. Um, and, and it's going to make people nervous about their uncle Joe. And if this could happen to them, you know, (laughs) and their uncle Sam as a whole, well, exactly. We're already worried about uncle Sam, but like, you know, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Alina Haba, check her out at HabaLaw.com, HabaLaw.com, at Alina Haba on social media. Alina, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Hope to do it again soon. Me too. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead and your phone calls. 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. We're going to go to your calls, 833-4-VALDES. Let's go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, WKCT, and check in with Jim. What's up, Jim? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Good evening, Rich. How are you today? Wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, your guest, she kind of addressed what I wanted to comment right at the very end is when our legal system gets compromised and Mm -hmm. there's prejudice, doesn't matter who it is. I mean, Donald Trump is the the target right now, but what if it's me or you? Right. You know, somebody doesn't have unlimited funds and can't fight the government. 
there's probably a lot of people that's been prosecuted by a prejudiced legal system, no matter what their color is, because of funds. And we're, we're in a world of hurt whenever you can't – supposedly we have justice for all. And you know it and I know it. That's a bunch of BS. Sadly, it seems to be the case every day more and more. It's becoming more evident. But, you know, that's exactly what Van Jones was partially talking about when I played that clip from him earlier. He was saying, look, you know, we we go through um, a lot of work to make sure people aren't overcharged. And he was saying whether it's overcharging Trump or overcharging, you know, somebody else, we don't want to overcharge people in the criminal justice system. And, And he's right. And when you're taking something that anybody else, I mean, several people have mentioned it on this program that the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, I'm sorry, the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, uh, fined uh, Hillary Clinton for her involvement in paying lawyers in order to get the Steele dossier, which is in effect the same crime, and nothing happened, right? There was no prosecution, not a local one, not a federal one, and nobody did anything. Uh, All that they had to do was pay a fine, and that was the extent of that. and because that was for the intent of influencing an election, right? That's the whole point here. Um, the 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 interesting thing here is both the Department of Justice, as Alina Haba pointed out, have agreed to not prosecute this, not because they were doing anybody a favor, because they, they thought there was no case. And the, the same thing happened with the FEC. They're saying they don't even want to do it. That they're not even worthy of putting a fine on this because it, in effect, had nothing to do with, with the actual running for president, but had to do with him and his personal life and given the amount of time and years that have passed. So everybody took a pass on this except for Alvin Bragg. And as I understand it, I think early on he didn't want to do it, but there was pressure coming in. So they said, all right, let's do it. And um, I don't know where that leaves us, but it puts us in a position where now we have to wait. We have to wait and see what's going on. But you're right. This is systemically, to use their word, chipping away at the fabric and, and, and the foundation of American jurisprudence. And it, why, while this is not a perfect system, as the saying goes, it's the best one there is. And it's the one that we've got. And if we break it, well, then we're all screwed, Jim. Well, and that, like you said, you just said it. When you mentioned the Clintons, there there seems to be in the point that we're at in our society right now, it depends on what your name is, who's in power, and we know that. But what I think was a bigger picture is where is it that neutrality, we've lost neutrality. Right. You're saying Lady Justice isn't blind anymore, sadly, lamentably, that's the case. Jim, I want to thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and everybody on WKCT. Now, straight ahead, we're going to continue uh, our discussion on this topic. If we have time, we'll grab another call or two. And then uh, we're going to open up a, a different topic of conversation on banks. What is the story with the banks? We're going to, you know, that was the story for a little while until this story, non-story in, in, in effect, uh, started dominating the headlines. So we're going to talk about that as well. And I believe Professor Murray Sabrin scheduled to join us at the top of the next hour. So don't go anywhere. Give us a call if you'd like to chime in on this Trump indictment to indict or not to indict. That is the question. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Greenwood, South Carolina, WCRS. Chuck, go for it, brother. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yes, sir. This is the first time I talked to you. I used to talk to Jim Bohannon on the station. I just want to say as calmly as I can that Lady Justice, about what you said about Lady Justice, is not blind about what a horrible precedent this will set if Trump's indicted and what it'll do for his campaign and yada, yada. And if justice was as it should be, he'd already be in jail. And How so? What would he be in jail for? For the charges that are going to come against him, and they may not even— Well, just name one charge. Chuck, take a deep breath, all right? Listen, what is the charge that we would imprison Trump for? Well, they're going to get him in there on the Stormy Daniels issue, but they got a whole host of stuff they're going to bring up on him. Well, let's let's take them one by one, right? we got a three-hour show here. So— um, you're saying Stormy Daniels, which is what we're doing now, right? The Stormy Daniels issue. Stormy Daniels herself said that Trump, that she never had sex with Trump, right? That was all propaganda pre-campaign. She's admitted to that several years ago. Um, this is a very old story. So they're saying that him paying her off to shut up and not make a big deal about it is somehow influencing and interfering in an election. It seems like you agree and they're trying to bring a charge, not even put him in jail, just they're trying to bring a charge. And it seems like it's not working. So uh, if what you're saying is true and and that's accurate, then everything's going the way it's supposed to go because they're trying to put him in jail. Right. Right. What I'm saying is the wheels are turning too slowly and that's all in favor of him because they're hoping that the statute of limitations will run out and. When he made that statement about that he'd probably be arrested Tuesday, he didn't have any more idea than the man on the moon if he was going to be arrested Tuesday. He just said that to get all this base stirred up again and well, get ready. It, well, hang on, Chuck. Let me just jump in. Uh, while there may be um, uh, an argument that could be made there, let's let's play this out. So if you're saying Trump is waiting for the statute of limitations to run out so he doesn't go to jail— it would be the dumbest thing in the world to say they're going to come and lock me up on Tuesday to try and speed up the clock and try and get the prosecutors to prosecute him even faster. If anything, he should be trying to hit the brakes, right? That was Chuck. what he was saying. What he was saying was it's time to circle the wagons, folks. We're under attack again, just like January the 6th when he stirred all that up. Well, what makes you think he stirred that up? He didn't walk down to the Capitol. He didn't walk down to the Capitol, but he told him to fight and never give up. And uh, he he led the, he didn't lead the charge, but he he he's the one that got them all stirred up and sent them up and to to get them to do it. And anyway, I think he's dirty. I mean, I do vote Democrat. I'm not a liberal, but um, we've had some good Republican presidents. But I think he was crooked all the way, and yeah, he's well, uh, I- got some contributions, campaign contributions. Well, tell me, let's talk about those. We don't have a lot of time. What What's the story with the campaign contributions? There's supposed to be an issue of thousands of dollars of campaign contributions, that uh, illegal con- uh, campaign contributions that are going to be brought up against him. Also, if this was... The you know, Chuck, it seems like you're getting information from people that don't like Trump 
and you're believing it as kind of um, as, as reality. And my advice to you would be when you hear something about Trump, you take a minute, you look at what the laws are, look up the statutes, take an hour and, and really look through this because you're getting out of breath, you're getting hot and heavy, and it's really not that serious. Nothing that they've accused Trump of doing, he's even he hasn't even done, right? They haven't been able to indict him on anything. It's not because he's the Teflon Don. It's because he's innocent, and they're just trying to sully his name. Anyway, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate the call. I enjoyed the exchange. Let's do it again. Up next, Murray Sabrin on Banks. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night national live town hall forum from New York all the way to Alaska, you can give us a call, 833, the number 4 Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Feel free to chime in. And uh, we've had some discussion tonight about President Trump. Guess what? He has not been indicted as of yet. Uh, I know that's uh, breaking news for some people, but that's uh, actually something that happened. And around six o'clock this evening, there was a, a, a story where apparently a judge was the source for ABC News. I meant to bring that up earlier and I wanted to discuss it with Alina Haba, but the deep state interference on her telephone distracted me. But it was it's very interesting uh, because it seems the judge was the only person that had the information and uh, we'll get into that at the top of the next hour. But I want to talk about Uh, A couple of headlines quickly. Rasmussen has uh, a poll out and the survey, according to the survey, 58 percent of those that uh, responded to the survey say that the United States is on the wrong track. Yep. Of course, China and Russia are signing a deal to expand their economic ties. That's the latest on the uh, love fest that's going on with uh, President Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. And here's this one. Treasury Secretary Yellen says the government is willing to backstop even more bank stops, uh, bank deposits, excuse me, if needed. We're going to get to that one with our next guest, uh, Professor Emeritus Murray Sabre. And he's the author of From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. Professor, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Rich. It's great to be with you. Likewise. So let's let's get into this. I mean, there's a few things I want to talk to you about. I, I know that you're well versed on a lot of what's going on. So um, I want you to hear a clip of audio from Secretary Yellen uh, today. She gave uh, some comments at the American Bankers Association. They had a summit today 
And uh, this is clip number eight, where she talks about how the intervention in banks was necessary to protect the broader U.S. banking system. But there could be more. Listen to this. The steps we took were not focused on aiding specific banks or classes of banks. Our intervention was necessary to protect the broader U.S. banking system. And similar actions could be warranted if smaller institutions suffered deposit runs that posed the risk of contagion. I believe that our actions reduced the risk of further bank failures that would have imposed losses on the deposit insurance fund, which is paid for through fees on banks. So do you think what she's saying is just an attempt to soothe investor anxiety right now, or do you think it's on the level, Professor? Well, what she's saying is that the structure of the banking system is totally unsustainable, which uh, any uh, uh, economist who knows anything about banking would have told you uh, 200 years ago. So what we're seeing is the playing out of the unsustainability of banks, which borrow short and lend long and have fractional reserves. And this is what happened throughout American history. Throughout the 19th century, we had banking panics where people tried to redeem their gold because they realized that the bankers loaned out some of that gold and didn't have all the money on deposit to redeem the banknotes that they issued to uh, for the uh, gold they took in, uh, into the bank. So th- this is problem has been going on literally for hundreds of years. And we're just this, seeing it played out. Isn't this what started uh, the Federal Reserve? Uh, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right after the panic of 1907, the bankers right. said, we, we've got a problem here. People are running on our banks and uh, we can't sustain this. And so they got together in that secret meeting at Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia. Uh, the book was written about it, The Creature from Jekyll Island. And there was the blueprint uh, put together for the, uh, for the Federal Reserve System, which then was uh, sold to the bankers as this is Guys, this is not regulation. This is not anti-bank. This is a pro-bank legislation because it's going to protect us from our own folly, which is borrowing short and lending long. And it was sold to the American people as an anti-bank bill. And guess what? Uh, We've had it now for 110 years. And since the Federal Reserve was created, we've had uh, uh, a major depression after World War One, a decade-long depression, and then we, a series of uh, recessions, including the Great Recession. And now the banking system is coming unwound again, in, starting with the regional banks. Now, the big banks are pretty much protected, but they, too, literally can go bankrupt overnight if enough people go to the banks and say, we want our money out. And the banks certainly don't have enough money in the vaults to, to pay off the, the, all the depositors or most of the depositors. And so in my Substack column to that, to, uh, today, I wrote a piece, short piece mm-hmm. on how we can end bank runs forever and don't need the FDIC, don't need the Federal Reserve, and allow the free market to give us a sound money in banking. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> sounds too good to be true. You prevent bank runs forever with without um, without forcing people to, to not take their money out? Well, yeah, the, the way you do it is every checking account has to have 100% reserves in the vaults. So in other words, if you put $100 in a checking account, the bank has to keep that $100 in reserve. They can't lend it out. And then if the bank- My 100 plus a, their own 100 in reserve. I'm sorry? You're saying my 100 plus their own 100 in reserve. No, no, oh, no, not not their 100. Just the, the 100. Your, the, the, just a hundred, because Got it. you go to the bank with your hundred dollar, uh, with your check, and you say, "I want my money out." And the bank says, "No problem. We've got the hundred dollars back in, in the vault." 
So that takes care of the problem of a bank run with uh, checking accounts. Now, the, the more tricky part is savings accounts, because right now savings accounts are available on demand also. So the way we handle that, so the bank will have cash to make out loans for small businesses, for car loans, for mortgages, is if the bank wants to make a, a one-year loan, they should have a one-year CD backing it up. If they want to make a three-year loan, they have a three-year loan. If they want to make a 30-year mortgage, they have a 30-year a CD. This is the way the financial system should work, where mm-hmm. the only people who are at risk are the owners of the bank, the shareholders, or if it's a private bank, the, uh, the entrepreneurs that own the bank, and they would make up any shortfall if any loans default, or whoever has, give, has taken out a loan, they have collateral that they put up to the bank. And so mm-hmm. if, they, if they default, uh, it, it could be the, uh, the uh, real estate, it could be the building, it could be the assets of the company that will be used as collateral to uh, back up that loan. But that's the way a free market would structure the banking system. Instead, what we have today is a, a semi-nationalized banking system because if the government's if the government is backing up reserve, uh, the, the depositors, that means the banks are inherently uh, unsafe because why do we need government insurance? We don't need government insurance for cell phone companies. We don't need government insurance for radio stations. <laughs> right. We don't need government insurance for retailers. Retailers have come and gone. Airlines have come and gone. And uh, that's the way the free market works. If you don't satisfy consumers, you go under. If you satisfy consumers, you can make rules of money. You know, that makes so much sense, and that's exactly why it's problematic, because the bankers would hate that, right? The fact that they have, to cover, <laughs> they have to cover all that money means I can't use everybody else's money to make money overnight or on these short-term deals or whatever it is they do when they're lending. And right. uh, exactly like you said, uh, and, th- and that's that's uh, banking in a nutshell, right? That's how they do their – it's like insurance companies. You know, they, 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 they just – they're in the business of making money. And I could see how they would resist that and buy themselves a, many a politician to make sure that that would never happen. Do you think something like that actually has, you know, that type of common sense approach would, um, you know, the kind of the way you and I have to live our lives <laughs> and everybody else? Do you think that has a, a a potential for becoming something that would ever be adopted? Well, if enough people understood banking the way it should be structured rather than the way it is structured, because we're going to have these banking crises forever now because the way uh, banks operate with fractional reserves and, and the Federal Reserve issue, creating money out of thin air. We can't create money. If we do, we're a counterfeiter. But the Fed right. is effectively our legal counterfeiter because they have a legal monopoly of creating money, which causes the business cycle, the ups and downs of the economy. And so um, you know, I've written about it extensively for the past half century. And now I'm doing a, a major tour on radio and TV in order to get the message out so people understand that uh, Washington is not our friend. They cause the problem. They're the arsonist. And then they tr- try to tell us that they try to sell us fire insurance. Yeah, Professor Murray Sabrin, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan once said, you know, government isn't the answer to the problem. Government is the problem. Folks, we're on with uh, Professor Murray Sabrin. Uh, He is the author of the book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, An American Story. We're going to continue with him straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at 
All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our guest is uh, Professor Emeritus Murray Sabrin. He's the author of the book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual. You could check him out at murraysabrin.substack.com. And we're going to continue our conversation, as is custom on our program, just like it was in the days of Larry King and the days of Jim Bohannon. We will take callers that are on topic with our guest, and we're going to go to Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA, and check in with our buddy Steve. Steve, what's going on? You're on with Professor Murray Sabrin and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, I'm on. This is Steve. Yes, we know that, sir. The whole world just heard the introduction. Go for it. I, I pulled it away from my phone. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, so so the, the question is uh, really pointed. Um, why would SVB um, invest so much of their portfolio in 10-year treasuries only paying 1% or less than that mm. when they knew that there's only one way it was going to go, which was the treasury bonds were going to have to, the interest rates were going to have to go up. That's the one really main question. Did somebody make them do that? Thank you, Steve. Yeah, the, Professor? The, yeah, the regulator said that you guys have to put money in safe securities and, and with the zero interest rate policy, virtually the year, zero interest rate policy of the Federal Reserve, um, T-bills are paying zero, so what do you do? You go out in the yield curve. In other words, you buy longer-term dated uh, uh, securities, which have a higher interest rate. And uh, remember, what what did the Fed say uh, two years ago, one and a half years ago? Inflation is transitory. So no one at the Fed thought rates were going to go up, and they skyrocketed because the Fed, as inflation accelerated, the Fed said, oh, my God, inflation is terrible. We better raise rates in order to uh, subdue inflation. And uh, there, there are... Tr- literally trillions of dollars of losses throughout the financial markets because of bank uh, prices going down as interest rates went up. So SVB got caught in the vice of dumb federal policy and uh, the regulators saying this is a good investment because treasuries are uh, the safest investment in the world. They are not. (laughs) That's what we've just learned. All right. Thank you, Steve, on WGKA. Now, Professor Sabrin, continuing on that vein, if uh, you know, let's just say in a perfect world, I'm president and I choose you as uh, my my Fed chair or my Treasury secretary. What are some of the reforms you bring to the table besides the one you just talked about, which I think is a great one uh, with the checking accounts and saving accounts? Uh, but how else can we prevent um, not just bank runs, but but uh, the the rest of what we're seeing? Uh, because it seems like it, it's there's two bad actors, right? You've got banks that are running amok, you know, borrowing, lending, doing what they do way more than they ought to without the reserve for it. And B, uh, we've got the government that, like you said, they're legal counterfeiters. How do we uh, put a put the kibosh on that? Well. Uh... We know at one time the dollar was considered as good as gold because the dollar was defined as a as unit weight of gold originally. The gold the standard. One twenty. Yeah, the gold standard. It worked. Um, it, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the one hundred percent gold standard that, that I advocate and some other economists advocate, where every dollar has to be backed by some amount of gold. Remember, gold is money. Paper are claims to money, just as checking accounts are claims to the real thing in the banks. So we have to go back to a system where the Federal Reserve cannot inflate, that they have to maintain the integrity of the dollar, and the Fed should not be manipulating interest rates. Interest rates should be set by uh, savers and uh, lenders, uh, borrowers in the marketplace. And so we have two, several reforms. Get rid of fractional reserve banking, uh, get rid of uh, uh, fiat money, and get rid of fractional reserves and uh, 
we would we would have a strong financial system which would be impervious to systemic failure, which is what we, we could have if if uh, these things uh, this contagion effect really takes hold. What are some of the steps to bring back this gold standard? I know that you know Nixon had done away with it, and and you right. mentioned not an actual like directly tied to gold, but somewhat tied to gold. What would that look like? How would we implement that? Well, uh, on my Substack column today, I linked to uh, Murray Rothbard's great little uh, monograph called The Case for 100% Gold mm-hmm. Dollar, and he goes through the mechanics of how we would do that. Well, we know the Federal Reserve has in, uh, in custody uh, about 250 million ounces of gold. And then we have to figure out how many dollars are out there that should be backed by that. And someone has done a calculation that the that the amount of dollars that is, is so tremendous that it would be something like forty fifty thousand dollars to uh, to uh, needed to back uh, one ounce of gold or one ounce of gold needed to back forty to $50,000. So th- this is the problem we have. We have this incredible uh, overhang of dollars that have been created the last 110 years while the supply of gold has stayed stable for since 1971 when Nixon closed the gold window. So we have a real problem in this country uh, technically to, to get back, but it can be done. Other countries have done it. And so we what what the... The next president should do, because Biden certainly not going to do it, is call for a commission to say we are going to return to the original intent of the founding fathers mm-hmm. of giving us a dollar as good as gold. And that's the mantra, and that's the uh, charge that the next president should do for the top economists to understand gold, money, and banking. There's a lot of people that are surmising right now that you know certain that if more countries join the BRICS coalition – that it will end the U.S. dollar being the petrodollar mm-hmm. and that there'll right. be a new currency. Does it happen, yes or no? It could happen because, very simply, uh, countries around the world uh, do not like what the U.S. foreign policy is, do not like the, uh, the U.S. government uh, bullying them in the international trade area. And so um, the Chinese uh, are sitting with, what, $1 trillion of uh, U.S. Treasury debt, uh, they want to make sure that they want to see the yuan become more popular in international trade. And uh, a lot of countries uh, really don't like being under the uh, U.S. dollar rule, because if, if the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, then there'd be no problem. It, the dollar would just be another entity that would could be exchanged for gold, and gold would be the premier money. So if the, if the U.S. government wants to make sure that the dollar is accepted around the world, it should make it convertible into gold. I agree 100 percent. All right, Professor, um, let's let everybody know. I know you've mentioned your Substack, and let me remind everybody it's Murray Sabrin, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N, dot Substack, dot com. How else can people keep in touch with you and follow the work you're doing, sir? Well, that's the best way uh, because uh, I write twice a week, and uh, I'll be writing about the economy mostly. Uh, I, we're coming up to a presidential election year, so I'll be writing a little bit about uh, what's going on there. Uh, I have all my books on Amazon. Uh, the four books I, I wrote, I've written since I mm-hmm. retired uh, three years ago, and it's about the Federal Reserve. It's about the boom-bust cycle and two books on healthcare, which is a whole nother topic. We have a $4 trillion healthcare bill in this country, and I think we can get it down to $2 trillion, which would free up tons of money to do things that would make the economy so much stronger and better for for the average American uh, family. All right. Well, if you're ever up late again at night, uh, we will have you back on to discuss those topics. Folks, check out Professor Murray Sabrin, murraysabrin.substack.com. Professor, thanks for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it.
You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about why parents aren't qualified to decide how their kids get educated. Yeah, listen to this one congresswoman and uh, everybody that agrees with her. More to come on that topic straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. If you have any questions on school choice, that's our topic uh, for the next half hour. Uh, definitely give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Jason Bedrick. He's at Jason Bedrick on Twitter, and he's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Jason Bedrick, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Now, I want to start this off because the reason I wanted to have this discussion uh, about a lot of things is because of Congresswoman Linda Glaze's uh, commentary that really, really rubbed me the wrong way. And I want you to hear it. I want to get your reaction to it. Listen to this. I see access as a problem. Um, I see parents being able to direct their child's um, education, and they are already in the lower 25 percentile, meaning a lot of those parents did not finish high school and cannot direct their, could not finish their own education. I am extremely concerned that we would put money in their hands in that in that entire piece of life in the hands of parents who are not qualified to make those decisions, and they don't have the money to put in the difference that their child would need to attend a private school if there were one in there already in their um, region. So that's, uh, again, Georgia Representative Lydia Glaze uh, speaking yesterday at a hearing. And, again, I can't listen to this, Jason Bedrick, without without really getting incensed at the fact that my dad had a sixth grade education and I don't think there was a person on this planet that had better intentions and gave me better direction for my own education in life than my parents. And I, I find it egregious that this woman wants to put us some sort of litmus test on what parents can and can't do. And there's a couple of seconds left of this that I want you to hear because she goes on talking about how her kids did go to private school, private school but she uh, doesn't think that tax dollars should help the kid she thinks tax dollars should help public schools only. Listen to this. I am for private schools. All of my children graduated from private schools, but I am not for them if we take public school dollars and use them for private schools. We paid for it, and we were able to. Jason Bedrick, what do you make of that? Well, look, it's uh, it's school choice for me, but not for thee, uh, you know. And she's also mm -hmm. saying the quiet part out loud, which is that um, you know, fun, there's a there is a divide in this country right now uh, when it comes to education. One side uh, wants to put the decision making authority in the hands of people who know children best and love them most, which is their parents, uh, and the other side. Uh, wants to put it in the hands of uh, education bureaucrats and elected politicians and, and just doesn't trust parents to be making decisions about their own kids' education. Uh, and, and this is a, a fight that has parents are waking up to the fact that uh, a lot of the people that are running the district school system 
uh, unfortunately, don't trust parents to be making decisions about their own kids' education. Yeah, this this to me is particularly troubling uh, because, I mean, I, I don't I've never lived, honestly, and I, I went to public schools in New York City and I went as a kid. And then as a teenager, I went to public school in Hudson County, New Jersey, and I was never in a situation where they they always deferred to the parent. That was always, you know, it was like. We, your parents know best. It, it was inferred. I, you never had to guess. And somehow there was a change. And today, you know, lo and behold, we know better than you. And it, it just seems so odd to me that that this is the I mean, again, it's odd to me in the sense that I'm looking at it in an altruistic manner. You know, if I look at it through the lens of my political experience, I go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody thinks they know better than the next guy. That's, in effect, so much of what left-leaning politicians do. But it, it just I still find myself being surprised at comments like this. And I know that I become angered, but I, I, I wonder if if other parents, A, are they hearing it? Do they do they get angry? What's your experience when, you know, you're, you're on the ground as an advocate for education um, uh, and school choice in particular? What's your assessment of how parents receive this type of rhetoric? Oh, yeah, no, they don't like it at all. And this is one of the reasons that, that uh, we've seen a spike in school choice legislation and the highest levels of support for school choice policies uh, ever uh, within the last two years. Uh, it really started, uh, I would say, with, uh, with COVID. Uh, not so much COVID, but the, the response of schools to COVID. Uh, shutting down, staying closed down far longer than was uh, necessary. Uh, there was a, a breaking of trust with families. And when families were going to school boards and saying, look, it's time to reopen, let's you know, get the show on the road here. Uh, and look, they were very understanding in uh, you know, the spring of 2020. But by fall of 2020, they were expecting uh, schools to have their act together. Uh, and when they got there, they realized that what they had thought of as their neighborhood school that was accountable to them was actually in the thrall of special interests that were in the system. And so even when the school systems opened back up, uh, a lot of families were, you know, keeping an eye on what was going on. They also got a glimpse of what was going on in the classroom uh, through Zoom school and very often didn't like what they saw, uh, whether it was the low quality of the instruction or especially the politicization of the classroom. You know, there's this older idea of education that we're going to teach kids to read and write and think critically and understand the history of this country and history of the world and, and these sorts of things, prepare them to be a good citizen, prepare them to be uh, good workers and good people. Um, yeah. But there is a newer version. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. There's that a newer version. Old. Yeah, that's, that's the old way. Uh, there's a, there's a newer uh, idea of education, which is that uh, we have to, you know, teach these kids essentially to become social justice warriors and to solve all of the world's problems, uh, you know, and, and the world's problems as seen through a very left wing lens. And this is what's being taught in education schools around the country. that are pumping out teachers that are then coming into the classrooms. Uh, with a social justice agenda. Uh, that's why when you walk into these classrooms and you see uh, BLM flags and rainbow flags and, uh, you know, they're asking children, uh, you know, which pronouns they want to use and which pronouns do you want us to use when we're talking to your parents, all these sorts of things. Parents started seeing all this and saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. This is not what I signed up for. This is not the education I got when I was going to public school as a kid. And this is not what I want for my own kids. And so when parents would then go to the school board and raise concerns and hit a brick wall, they started to turn to the state legislature. 
Uh, and eventually, uh, I was speaking to a, a legislator in Iowa not too long ago, and mm-hmm. they just passed a school choice bill. And uh, she said, we got tired of playing whack-a-mole. Uh, every week they were there with a different thing. You know, there's a, a biological male in my daughter's locker room and, you know, showering with the girls. You know, can you help us with this? Uh, they're teaching critical race theory in the classroom. Like, what, what is this? Can, can you stop this? Eventually, uh, they came around to the idea, well, you know what? Maybe the money should follow the child. We should pick the school that works best for our children, that aligns with our values, and the money should follow them into that learning environment. Uh, and that gives you, A, an immediate escape hatch if your school is sort of going off the rails, and B, if you want to stay in your school and you show up at that school board hearing and they know that if you aren't satisfied, you'll leave and take your money with you, your negotiating power is much greater. You've got a lot more leverage, and they're going to have to listen to you. So uh, school choice both helps parents leave and also helps parents stay. Extremely well put. Uh, Jason Bedrick from the Heritage Foundation is our guest. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to discuss what an ESA is, an education savings account. And that's, in effect, what um, Representative Linda Glaze was talking about. And I'm, I'm actually, I never do this, but I'm going to replay that audio when we come back because I want you to hear it as as Jason Bedrick explains uh, the importance of ESAs and, and how they help people to, in, in reality, in my opinion, this has always been like the modern day civil rights issue. If you want to make something of yourself, you want to, uh, you know, if you want a fair shot, education's the equalizer here, right? Once everybody's smart, everybody has a skill, everybody's learned something, you, you're competitive again. You're not competitive if you don't know. And and to me, that's the most important part. Don't hold somebody hostage because of, you know, where they live in a bad neighborhood, et cetera. So we're going to get to that and why ESAs and school choice are so important. Uh, but everything you just mentioned to me was, was is critical. Uh, how wokeness is creeping its way into, forget creeping its way, it's running rampant, right? Especially in teacher education colleges. And, and I'm glad that you, you highlighted that because that's a big part of it. And that goes into the political aspect and the 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 social activism component of that's in effect what many people who are teachers are now doing is they're they're creating they are social activists and they're creating more social activists rather than just well-informed citizens so we're going to continue that conversation straight ahead with jason bedrick from the heritage foundation if you want to uh, ask a question or join the conversation 833 the number four valdez 833 valdez or chime in online at rich valdez with an s on all the social media we're coming right back this is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I see access as a problem. Um, I see parents being able to direct their child's um, education, and they are already in the lower 25 percentile, meaning a lot of those parents did not finish high school and cannot direct their, could not finish their own education. I am extremely concerned that we would put money in their hands and that and that entire piece of life in the hands of parents who are not qualified to make those decisions, and they don't have the money to put in the difference that their child would need to attend a private school if there were one in there already in their um, region. 
So that, again, is uh, Georgia Representative Linda Glaze, a Democrat, uh, explaining why you as a parent uh, don't have the qualifications. You, you just uh, you're not up to par here. Right. The government must figure out how to spend your dollars. The government must be in charge. I, I really don't like that. Um, what she's saying and the way she's saying it so flippantly as if this is uh, a widely held belief amongst everyone. And, and I can't imagine that to be the case. So I'm glad that she put herself on display. And we're t- what she's talking about are education savings accounts, right, and school choice, the ability to to take the dollar that is paid out through tax dollars and allow it to follow the child. Our guest is Jason Bedrick. He is a research fellow in the Center for Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation, and he's with us. And we're going to break this down because I know that, you know, school choice has been around for a long time, but I want, A, I want a refresher, and B, I want the nuance on how this plays out. Jason? Sure. So uh, with an education savings account, uh, like you said, the money follows the child. Uh, so usually it's about 90% of the state's per pupil funding. Uh, and it can be used for a wide variety of educational expenses. So just to be clear, we're not talking here about a college savings account. This mm-hmm. is for K through 12. And yeah. parents can use the money for things like private school tuition, tutoring, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning, special needs therapy, and more. So it really empowers families with the freedom and flexibility to customize their children's education. And let me just add a little piece of that, right? Um, everybody hates paying tax. And, you know, I, I, I owned a home in Nutley, New Jersey. Tax was really high there. And I remember, you know, I had little kids and they did go to public school. But there were plenty of people on my block that were older. There was a, a widowed woman and everybody was paying so that my kids could go to school, so that every kid in that town could go to school, right? School taxes, everybody's paying them. And it, 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 it just kills me that the way everybody makes that sacrifice jointly you know, some people might complain about it, but for the most part, most people are happy and willing and they say, look, you know, I'm, this is it. I'm not going to go on protest here. We're, we're going to pay school taxes because they want the betterment of society at large. And school choice to me is an, a natural extension of that same goodwill where people can go ahead and, and trust that we're getting the best trained people, the best trained students moving forward. And, and it's just, it, it's sad that, that, there are politicians that are fighting against something like this when it makes all the sense in the world. And to me, it's the fairest way to, to divvy up the pie. Am I wrong? No, I think you're hundred percent correct. And uh, look, the promise of the public education system is that every child is supposed to have access to a high quality education that meets his or her needs. Uh, and that's a noble goal. The only thing is there's no one school that's going to best meet the needs of all the kids who just happen to live nearby. Uh, lots of kids. I've got twins myself who have very different interests and aptitudes. Um, they do both go to the same school, uh, but I can, I've met lots of families who've got children that are in multiple different schools based on, uh, you know, one, one child, uh, you know, does really well in a traditional classroom. Another child doesn't, works better in a more of a Montessori style, uh, you know, so student-directed environment. Uh, the people are confusing public education with the public school system. And they're not the same thing. Uh, it would be much better to focus on the individual needs of individual children. Let parents choose the learning environment that best meets their individual learning needs and have the money follow the child. 
Outstanding. I want you to pause right there. We're going to take a quick break. Come back. We've got a couple of people who have questions for you before we wrap up, so we're going to get to that as well. Don't move a muscle. It's America at Night. Our guest, Jason Bedrick from Heritage. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we're going to go to this call very quickly. Doug Avon, Minnesota, KNST, Minnesota just passed a bill. Tell us about that quickly with our guest, Jason Bedrick. Go right ahead. You're right, Doug? Minnesota did just pass the bill. Yes, can mm-hmm. you hear me? Yes, go for it. We, we did just pass the bill. Every school kid in K-12 through is going to get free lunch regardless of parental income. My question is, every year we have stuff the bus, rallies, buy all these supplies for the school kids. The poor teachers are paying for all these supplies personally out of their own pockets. My question for your guest is, is there or should there be a national clearinghouse to make every school district in America accountable for every dollar spent on where it goes, where it came from, did it go to the students? Did it go to the supplies? Where did it go? Thank you, Doug. Jason Bedrick, go right ahead. Yeah, that's a great question, Doug. I wouldn't do a national clearinghouse. I'm, I'm uh, skeptical of uh, federal mandates, which always te- seem to uh, have mission creep. Uh, but certainly at the state level, I think it's very important that we have transparency and accountability when it comes to uh, public spending of public dollars. Uh, and, and also that uh, not just uh, the, where the dollars are going, but what's being taught in the classroom. It's very important that parents know exactly what their children are learning in school. Jason Bedrick, um, we have a couple of minutes, but only like a couple of minutes. I wanted to make sure that everybody's aware of how to follow the work that you're doing at Heritage and anything else you're involved with, whether it's a website or a social media handle. So um, take a minute and let us know how to keep in touch with you. Sure. They can follow me on Twitter at Jason Bedrick, B-E-D-R-I-C-K, and also the Heritage Foundation at heritage.org. All right, folks, that's uh, at Jason Bedrick on social media and heritage.org is the website. Uh, I think the work that you're doing, it's incredible. It's a yeoman's task. It's, It's very important. Um, I spent about almost nine years, maybe maybe nine and a half years, as a um, school board member for a charter school in Jersey City, New Jersey. And I, I learned so much, both from the little kids, the scholars that were there, and from their parents. And it's, uh, it's so important. And, and there's such a difference that's made, in my opinion, when you allow people to do what they feel is right for them. Because ultimately, they're the best leader of their own lives. So I think this work, especially in school choice, is outstanding. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And, and look, if I could leave uh, your, your listeners with one last message, it's, it's mm-hmm. this. Uh, there are school choice bills going through state legislatures around the country. Uh, Texas is hearing Senate Bill 8 tomorrow to create an education savings account. There, the, what you were talking about was in Georgia. That's a, a bill that's to create a new ESA. Uh, Florida is expanding theirs to all students. Uh, Indiana, New Hampshire. The thing is, though, Uh, there is an army of lobbyists paid to fight against this. Mm. And if state legislators are not hearing from their constituents and they're only hearing from the lobbyists, it's like their constituents don't exist. 
So if you want more freedom and flexibility when it comes to how your child is educated, you need to let your legislator know. All right. People need to get involved at the political level because ultimately it will hurt everybody if you don't. Jason Bedrick, Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America. That's where you chime in. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833, the number 4-VALDEZ. Or at Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't move a muscle. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of the social media. If you want to chime in and uh, connect with us, otherwise, give us a call. It's Open Phone America, and the phone number is 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-482-5337. Of course, our legacy line is always open. You're always welcome to call that number. And we've had some interesting discussion this evening Uh, And just wanted to make a a side note. I realize that some of you are listening to this program live. And if you're listening live, it's actually tomorrow, right? It's, you know, it's it's seven minutes after midnight. Uh, I know sometimes people tell me, you know, why do you say goodnight uh, or I'll see you tomorrow at the end of the program? In my brain, that's how it works. Okay. And uh, I realize that, you know, I could say at the end of the last segment, I could say, all right, see you tomorrow. And then come back and be clever about it and be like, all right, it's, you know, top of the morning to you. But it, this isn't really morning radio, right? Even though this is the beginning of the wee hours of the morning. So just a, a quick aside on that. But I want to have discussions on all the topics that we've discussed this evening. I see calls are starting to come in, and we're going to get to you momentarily. But I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk about this, this commentary where Javier Becerra, he is the secretary of HHS, the Health and Human Services um, secretary, and he he made these comments that I thought, you know, they're, they're interesting, right? And he's kind of bragging that they've created an office of environmental justice and health equity. I don't even know what that means. I'm sure somebody out there knows what it means, but... Health equity? Are we now to to presume that one's good health or one's bad health, that we should all share the same health situation so that it's equitable according to those that use this type of terminology? I think this is pretty crazy, but listen to Javier Becerra, HHS secretary. Check this out. We established a climate change and health equity office at the Department of Health and Human Services, not the EPA at HHS. We established an environmental justice office, not in the Department of Justice, but in HHS, because we know that 
the folks who are hit first and worst when it comes to climate degradation are in the minority communities, are in the low-income communities. So why should we wait until they're suffering, as we've seen in some communities in my state of California, where they can't even get tap water that's clean? Or in Flint, Michigan, where you don't even want to turn on the tap because you're going to get lead that your kids will drink. Why should we wait till government hears enough and solves it? Let's go where they are and do it now. I got to tell you, this stuff is, um, A, it's egregious to, to not have clean water, number one. And I know, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, somebody somewhere is going to blame a Republican. But the reality is, so many of these areas that are affected by this dirty water stuff have had Democratic control, and I don't mean Democratic small d, I mean Democrat big D, for, for a very long time. But that's just a sidebar. The big issue here is how he's super thrilled that a government agency that is, you know, focused on health and human services is somehow now in the business of environmental justice. Their words, not mine. Or health equity. This to me is so bizarre. Health equity. The idea that somehow environmental problems, the ones he cited, um, climate change, for example, is somehow racist, boggles the mind. And I've had this conversation in a very calm manner with former colleagues of mine that were saying, but Rich, you got to be honest. I mean, have you noticed how many kids in the Bronx and the poorest sections have asthma? And I'm thinking, all right, hold on. So you're saying that Kids in the Bronx have asthma more than other kids in New York City. And there are other poor parts of New York City. They're not all in the Bronx. It just happens to be that there's an industrial section in the Bronx where there's smokestacks and whatever it is and people that can't afford uh, to live in, I don't know, let's just say in, you know, the Dumbo section of Brooklyn where there's brownstones and other, you know, high-end housing. Maybe they live in the Bronx because it's cheaper and they live near Hunts Point. And that's where some of this industrial uh, smog or whatever is coming from. That's somehow climate change being racist. The, the, the idea that somehow people of color or minorities are somehow more susceptible to climate change or environmental issues. I mean, this has got to be one of the most offensive things that I've ever heard. Um, I just I don't even know where to start. There are poor people in Kentucky, and they're not minorities. They're not black and Hispanic. I'm sure there's poor blacks and Hispanics there. There's plenty of, of white people that are poor in Kentucky. There's plenty of white people that are poor in Alabama. There's, there's plenty of states across America where there's poor people of every race, and that's the point I'm making. For our government and one of our cabinet officials to make this, this um, pronouncement is crazy. And his next statement where he at the Urban Institute in Washington, D.C., where he says, look, we're going into schools to promote Medicaid. Wow, we just talked about school choice and the importance of it and how some people are there just for the sake of social activism. Well, this guy seems like he's there preaching the good news of big government. Listen to this. We're going to blow it out of the water with Medicaid so long as you work with us because we're making sure that we reach people where they are. We're going into schools and urging schools to become providers of care under Medicaid so that a child 
doesn't have to leave the classroom to get basic care up front. My mother used to always say, mejor prevenir que remediar. Better to prevent than to remediate. What better way than in the schools? Frederick Douglass said it just as well 170 years ago. Easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. We're going into the schools because that's where they are. We're not going to wait for the child to find insurance and come to a doctor. Maternal health, greatest country in the world, richest country in the world. We have some of the worst outcomes when it comes to maternal health, especially in our black and indigenous communities. All right, Mr. Secretary, let me just say this. Our black and indigenous communities seem to be flooded with Planned Parenthood centers. I thought they were supposed to be doing, um, you know, the best work available. Isn't it fascinating how in our black and indigenous communities uh, we're having some of the worst outcomes? Maybe it's because we have some of the worst practices and we're not giving the right advice. Right. And then to, to, to try and use great cliches like it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. This is a quote for parents, sir. These children don't belong to you. This idea that you're going to go into the schools and we're going to take them where they are and we're going to start providing health care inside of schools. Now, listen, I, I may, may or may not be opposed to that. On its face, it sounds to me like uh, I'm not at my kid with I'm not with my kid at school. And I should be with my kid, my minor child, when they're receiving any type of health care. So it makes a ton of sense to me that this isn't going to work. I don't know why you think you have this grandiose idea that you, nobody's ever thought of this in the past. And that, man, I just figured it out. We can put pediatricians. And, of course, they won't put a pediatrician. They'll put a nurse or an advanced practice nurse or maybe a physician assistant with some one doctor overseeing like a million different schools. Because that's how the government likes to work. They stretch it all thin. And saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to fix everything, every every uh, societal ill, every problem that we have. So just imagine, right, you, you're going, your kid goes to school, he comes home. Oh, I got diagnosed with this. I've got that. I've got this. They gave me this. They gave me that. This sounds like a world of hurt. And again, another perfect example of how the government thinks they know more than you and that they can do better with your children. If you think for a second that there are not people of of influence in positions of power that want your children and are going to do, and again, what they want to do with your children, I don't know. It seems to me like they just want a a permanent class of people that will do whatever they're told. Sheep, if you will. Not on my watch. Not my kids. Not happening here. More to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDES. 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S. Should the government be in charge of your children. Are you willing to co-parent with your government? We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. All right, America, welcome back. And as Javier Becerra is um, trying to get into schools to take over what's going on, uh, this government takeover of everything, uh, there's 
experts out there that are saying that dad jokes could be helping kids grow into healthy adults. We're going to get to that story momentarily. Plus, we also have an update on President, uh, former President Trump. Donald Trump has still not been indicted. We'll continue our coverage of the big uh, moment if and when it happens. We'll bring it to you. Now, I want to... Um, Go to the phones, 833-4-VALDES, and let's uh, check in with Al in Kalispell, Montana, on KOFI. Al, go right ahead, sir. Hey, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, the yeah the communists do not care if they mutilate millions of children. Um, they destroy fundamental blocks of our society, the family and take control of the education system. They just, this is their overall 100-year plan. They don't care who they hurt, just as long as they can destroy America. I think you're right. And uh, it's unfortunate, but this is ultimately how they get to where they want to be, those that, you know, adhere to that type of philosophy. And and it's, uh, it's a shame, obviously. It's a shame, and we have to work that much harder, the rest of us, to uh, to not fall in line with that kind of crazy. But when you look at, you know, the outcome of so many of these social experiments that we're seeing right now, uh, even thus far, it doesn't look good, right? I, I don't think somebody, the other day I made a comment and uh, I think we had, our guest was Lydia Serrani and she asked me if I'd seen any studies showing that mortality rates were improved by kids transitioning. And I hadn't seen any. And uh, she uh, reiterated that she hadn't seen any. But somebody somewhere on Twitter sent me a Harvard study showing the exact opposite, saying that the more transitioning that we have, the less the teens are killing themselves. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm going to... I'm I'm going to not judge a book by its cover and take a look at it. But uh, my suspicion is that this is going to be making numbers jump, right? Uh, to whatever height we want to make of them course. jump to. Because it, there's no world in, in my mind where this is actually a good thing, right? where it's actually helping people. This has not been an epidemic throughout all of human history. And all of a sudden we figured out the cure. Yes, hormones and mutilation. Right. That's I don't think that's the answer. But again, this is the way they want to paint it so that they can use this emotional um, blackmail, if you will, to get their way. Al. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, um, you know, once again, their whole target is to destroy America and they don't care what tactic they use, how they destroy the family, if they have to mutilate and destroy generations just as long as they get to fly their little commie flag at the end of the game. You know, Al, I, I would hate to think that everything you're saying is accurate because uh, then we're in a really bad place if that's what they want to do. And by they, I mean, you know, there's so many people. But you're right in that there are so many people that really do believe that. There are so many people that, they, you know, they need to destroy the America that so many of us know and love in order to bring about the better, new, improved version of America that they envision in their utopian mind. And that's the one where, that's an America where kids can identify as whatever gender they feel like it and genders are infinite. And where, you know, 
people don't need money because they live and subsist off of the government and where billionaires don't exist because they've been punished by the government. And, and it's just a, a utopian fantasy or nightmare that I hope never comes to fruition, but there are plenty of people intent on getting there. Thanks for the call, Al. I appreciate it. I'm going to continue. Let us go with Jeff in Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Go right ahead, Jeff. Hello, Rich Valdez, and that's uh, Valdez with an S, uh, by yes. the way, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that, that is uh, correct. Okay. So I have a, a, a bunch of people kind of stolen my thunder about the education thing, and I want to kind of go back to uh, a couple of uh, uh, people that have passed by, um, uh, Frank Zappa, the musician, hmm. and what he said about education and uh, the 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 late comedian George Carlin, what he well, said. Pick about one education. because we only have about two and a half minutes before the music kicks in. So tell me, pick one and tell me what's on your mind. So both of them basically said the same thing. They're not trying to educate people um, uh, to be intelligent, to be um, uh, in a class uh, with the elites. What they're they're doing is is is, is they've. Well, they've kind of graduated from trying to get a bunch of just workers, okay, um, into a bunch of 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 um, just social idiots that will go along with whatever these professors tell them in in um, in a classroom. And then one of the ways they're doing that is they're they're separating people by by class warfare, um, ethnicity, whatever. Now, I did a lot of work. Um, uh, in my years of construction over on the uh, campus of Michigan State University. And one thing I noticed is um, if you take all of the, uh, the black students, uh, the white students, the Hispanic students, whatever, you would see them in, in, in really nice clothes, sometimes driving really nice cars, the best clothes, best phones, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you see the Asian kids uh, on campus, and you know what they had? No. What they have? Books. They had books. That's a true story. So you're saying there were cultural differences where people were interested in one thing more than the other? I'm I'm saying that the the conquer and divide uh, is is so obvious. If you just go across any any college campus, uh, the conquer and divide, and just see what's going on inside in in around uh, the campuses, uh, it's 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 insane, man. All right. Well, I'll take a look. I don't know that I've ever observed that. And I worked, you know, I worked in higher ed for about eight years. Uh, I, I never noticed that at that level in, ever. But I, I agree there is a divide and conquer movement uh, afoot. Uh, wh- whether it's the, the way you described it or not, I can't attest to that. I've never seen that. But there's definitely malfeasance at play. And if parents aren't vigilant, if, if all Americans aren't vigilant, we're going to walk right into those traps. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. I want to make sure I give you the phone number. It's 833, the number 4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, as well as online on any of the social media. Make sure you give me a follow, please, and um, check me out, at Rich Valdez with an S. And if you've missed any portion of the interviews that we've had tonight, you can go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Make sure you check that out. You can listen live, hear old programs, and subscribe to the podcast as well. More to come straight ahead, your calls and more right after this. 
President Biden has been uh, nothing but consistent uh, about his uh, belief, foundational belief in, in human rights, and LGBTQ plus rights are human rights. Uh, and uh, we, again, back to the earlier question, are never going to shy away and be bashful about speaking up for those rights and for, uh, uh, for individuals to live as they deem fit, as they want to live. And that's something that's a core part of our foreign policy, and it, and it will remain so. That's Admiral Kirby uh, saying how this uh, LGBTQ rights are now fundamental to uh, everything that they uh, stand for. It's a core part of their foreign policy in the Biden administration. And that's something that they're going to continue to implement and will uh, it will remain so, according to him. That's a quote from that uh, clip of audio. And. This to me is just absolutely crazy. And we're going to get to your calls. I know there's some people holding on. I'm going to get to you momentarily. I just have to cover this because it's crazy to me that, A, there's such an emphasis uh, on this particular topic from the Biden administration. Meanwhile, there are people that are doing this transition thing that are, you know, becoming, you know, um, transgendered and totally uh, growing up and saying, you know what, this actually doesn't help me. This actually hurts me. And this is bad. This is very, very bad in my opinion, because I'm looking at a story here. Uh, Detransitioned teen sues Kaiser Permanente, uh, the pharmaceutical company, for performing double mastectomy on her at 13 years old, saying that this is now intentional fraud. This detransitioned teenager, Layla Jane, is suing uh, Permanente Medical Group and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals, the medical providers who performed a double mastectomy on her when she was just 13 years old after beginning to identify as transgender two years ago. She's now, or two years before that, she's now 18 years old and is accusing the hospital system of what she's saying is intentional fraud and concealment involving her gender transition, alleging that the doctors pushed her into the procedure and characterized her gender transition as the only way to treat her pre-existing mental health problems. She says, I don't think I should have been allowed to change my sex before I was legally able to have sex. Jane told Fox News' Laura Ingram last Thursday, I don't think I'm better uh, better off for the experience, and I think transitioning just completely added fuel to the fire that was my pre-existing conditions, meaning she probably had anxiety and a lot of uncertainty and probably has more anxiety and more uncertainty now that she has no breasts. This is a serious thing. I think a lot of people take that stuff for granted, but there's a lot of people that believe a core part of womanhood is being able to bear a child and that in that bearing of a child is being able to feed a child naturally through mother's milk, right, to nurse a child. And all of that kind of goes away. And and it's a shame that this is allowed to happen. Um, Jane went on to say that she previously struggled with mental health, including suicidal ideation, before deciding to transition uh, into uh, going into adolescence. Her attorney, Harmeet Dillon, alleges that Jane's caregivers failed to administer the necessary mental health treatments before performing the double mastectomy and never informed her that 80 to 90% of, of teens eager to transition regret it after the fact. That's an interesting number. 
Informed consent was missing here, said Dylan during the segment. It's impossible for a child to give informed consent, and it's impossible for parents who are not fully informed and with a child that was not properly treated who cannot also give that same consent. Jane's lawsuit, according to the reports uh, from The Blaze and others, alleged that doctors warned her of an increased risk of suicide if she failed to transition to male, adding that they gave her parents a binary option of living with a live son or suffering the consequence of having a dead daughter. This is not Chloe uh, Cole. This is not uh, the, the other. This is the same line of crap that they run on every parent to emotionally blackmail them so they can get their way. This is what we're seeing. Unbelievable. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to W-E-O-L in Cleveland. Steve, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go for it. Hey, Rich. The easy listening of any night of the week. It's My man. <laughs> Thank you, brother. What's up? I'll tell, I'll tell, well, uh, well, I wish you were here local with, well, I don't know. You don't have any daytime show at all, do you? Just ask No, me. no. This is it. Three hours at night. But you can listen to me during I mean, the day so, if you uh, do go to the, the website. Well, uh, um, I guess we want to call him the screener. We'll use he kind of like to mention the random guys with microphones. We'll kind of call it that way. But there's one guy that uh, did um, he kind of called it uh, presidential detail. And uh, so let's see, uh, 45. So he would have been 44th president. And um Basically, we're putting Trump, we're not, but the liberals having a new law book that they're writing to take a couple of felony, you know, a couple misdemeanors that are past statute of limitations. Can they make it a felony? I don't, I can't believe it, but people don't, I know a guy that's got a business, his customers, he says, are just asleep. And the people out there that, if Trump did get arrested today, we got a different country tomorrow. And if mm-hmm. we listen to the people, if we listen to the people on the radio and there's a local random guy that he likes to get in, uh, who has a microphone and he likes to get in, into the mind of his, um, uh, friends. And, uh, meaning I found out as I was kind of, uh, talking to that random guy that he does not believe, I mean, he's, he's, he voted for Trump. But he doesn't believe that uh, there's any proof that the election was stolen. So I kind of text him back and let him know, hey, thanks for letting me in your mind. But there are a <laughs> lot of people asleep. My pillow guy and Rudy Giuliani, um, they've they, they've got all the they've they got all the faces, they got all the names, they got all the numbers. They got but, all and the you know what? Not and, only them. I mean, they're out there. They are definitely out there, and and they're doing their thing. But there's plenty of others. There's a bunch of excellent lawyers working on on a case um, that's making progress in Pennsylvania on the legality of changing the state's balloting system to be all mail-in without any act of the legislature when that is, uh, you know, the time, place, and manner of elections being solely decided by the legislature. That's constitutional, right? I mean, that's that's literally how the law is written. So it, it's fascinating to me for anyone to say whether, you know, whatever your argument can be, um, I think it's clear as day when you look at these cases, and they've happened in other states, but we'll use Pennsylvania as an example. This is clear as day to me 
that you you can't go ahead and just start changing election laws that benefit one party and do this change by way of a lawsuit. And that's eventually, you know, um, what what happened, right? Mark Elias and his group of lawyers, they, they challenged many state laws in court suing these states. And in effect, they got their judgment, if you will, by having state Supreme Court justices um, who don't have the right to to create law that has to go through the legislature to go ahead and change things. And this is where it, it's been super problematic. And that was probably the biggest thing we saw because we saw it in tons of different states. This is a problem that needs to be addressed, and they've got an excellent case on that. And as they make more, more progress on it, I will definitely um, bring that up more on the air because uh, I think this is clear. I don't care what people believe. Some people say yes. Some people say no. Whatever it is, no problem. You can't deny this. You can't deny the fact that the Constitution says that the time, place, and manner of elections are determined by each individual state's legislature. And if it wasn't the legislature that made those changes and said, yeah, we're going to go all mail-in, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, these changes to these laws that were set by the legislature, in effect, the lawmakers, uh, can't be changed by the judiciary. The the judiciary is there to interpret those rules and or laws. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you in terms of people who are just not up to speed. A lot of people need to figure out, you know, or at least invest the time to put in the research because – uh, there's a lot of information out there, and the the less people know, the less people know. Thank you, Steve in Cleveland. I appreciate it. I, w- I want to continue uh, in this vein with uh, respect to this story uh, because this this girl um, who you know grew up in Lila Jane, who decided at 17 years old after having a double mastectomy at age 13 that this wasn't for her. So she decided to detransition and go back to being a girl. Um, and there's a, a bunch of people that do that because obviously when you're doing this prematurely, what are you going to do? People are going to shame somebody into becoming the opposite sex. Now, Jane's lawsuit noted a series of health struggles that were brought on by this permanent irreversible mutilation, including the inability to breastfeed, increased likelihood of an inability to conceive and other endocrine problems. Now, her her lawyer, uh, Harmeet Dillon, who also represents detransitioner Chloe Cole, alleged that the lines used by doctors at Kaiser Permanente must be scripted since the same live son or dead daughter binary was allegedly used in both instances. Yeah, and I remember that from hearing the Chloe Cole story, uh, another excellent story. So this seems to be how it goes. And another quote from that interview is, I was given no information about the rates of desistance or anything like that. Really, the surgery and the treatments were kind of pushed as the only way forward. Dylan said Jane's breasts cannot be reconstructed, slamming the push for gender-affirming care as experimentation on America's children. I agree with that. And that's something in Florida. They, they've labeled this uh, as experimental care, and you can't provide this experimental care to anybody under 18. And I think that's a a smart idea. In a statement provided to Fox News, Kaiser Permanente wrote, our physicians and multidisciplinary care teams practice compassionate, evidence-based medicine founded on sound research and the best medical practices to provide comprehensive services based on individual needs for each individual patient. 
Uh, so, of course, you know, they're going to try and CYA and do what they've got to do. But ultimately, this is bad news. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls and more. I'm going to finish the, close the loop on that dad joke article because apparently it's a real thing. Experts are saying dad jokes are good for your health. More on that straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. Well, experts in England say that dad jokes, which are notoriously corny, uh, but actually might be good for you. Mark Kai Knudsen, he's a humor researcher and lab manager at the Arahus University Cognition and Behavior Lab in the UK. He published an article in the British Psychological Society's journal that found that embarrassing your kids a little can help them grow into healthy adults. Listen to this. Uh, He wrote that when dads embarrass their kids with corny jokes, it teaches them how to overcome awkward moments when they grow up. So I'm really interested in... A, hearing your best dad joke, and B, hearing, you know, your comments on everything else we were talking about um, before we wrap up tonight. But interesting to note here that this is what they say. Now, um, one New York dad shared his own joke that would make many, many children be very, very embarrassment. And here's an example of that joke. I went to a Star Trek convention recently, but they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't the real McCoy. <laughs> there you go. Great dad joke. Anyway, let us continue with your calls. Let's go to Atlantic City, New Jersey, W-O-N-D, and check in with John. Hey, John, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Rich. I, I, I listen to you very often. And uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not surprised at all that, that young ladies um, are out because... Um, there has to be a rough situation for for some of these kids that go through. Absolutely. A, thanks for listening. And B, you're right. 100%. That's crazy. What preconsistent could she have had at 13? Right. 100% right. I think what it really is is like anxiety and depression. And somehow, instead of, you know, saying, hey, start doing exercise or even antidepressants, which I don't think is, a, you know, always the answer. But that seems to be a whole lot better than hey, maybe we should, you know, consider you becoming the the opposite sex. Or if they bring up saying, I feel like I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body or a boy trapped in a girl's body, I think you should really talk about that first and figure out where is this coming from and why do you feel that way? And and not, you know, just immediately say, well, the answer here then is to give you hormones to become that, that opposite sex when clearly these people are bouncing back at a pretty high rate. So, you know, th- that's the stuff that we're not hearing about. And And I just think making irreversible change. You know, I always bring up my, my mom had a, uh, uh, surgery. They made her wait till she was at least 25 before she could have that surgery because of, you know, they said, you never know, you might want to have another kid. And voila, she did. She didn't have that surgery till she was 28. And I happened to be the kid that was born when she was 28. So point is, um, 
yeah, I think it's it's wise to wait with things that have a life um, altering impact where, you know, you're not able to come back from these things. That's just my thought. Uh, John, what's the weather like in Atlantic City? I'm up north and uh, it, it, it was a warm day today. We've had a blessed winter. Uh, it's been really a mild winter. And um, it's been, we hit the 60 today. Yeah, yeah, 61 degrees where I was. And I thought, man, this is great weather. I had the sunroof open. I was really loving it. Now, John, do you have any dad jokes? No, no, I don't. I know you do. You just don't want to share it with us. That's all right. I'm not going to hold it against you. I thank you again for listening. I appreciate it. John in Atlantic City, New Jersey on WOND. Godspeed to you, sir. Let's continue with our buddy Paul, WHIZ, Ohio. Oh, we'll go to Paul right after the break. Um, being yelled at. They're banging on the door. Go to break. Go to break. So I'm going to break. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's go to Paul in Ohio. Paul, go for it, brother. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, I don't know why my dad always told me this, but uh, he would always say, Rich, if a horse gallops with its front legs, what does it do with its back legs? I don't know. but that (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, You know, I'm a sucker for a good dad joke. Honestly, I am. Yeah, and I don't know why he ever told me that, but I don't know. I guess it has something to do with you got you to gotta get out there and gallop, and then when you get a little older like me, you still got to keep going. That's right. That's, that's, that's an excellent perspective. Now, uh, Paul in Zanesville, what's your, uh, your, your thinking on this, um, this piece that we did on, um, on schools and children transitioning? Should the government have so much sway? Uh, no, no, I don't think they should law. I think they ought to stay out of it. You know, um, parents' rights should never be taken away from them. You know, um, I was listening to the lady that was on earlier, uh, talking about the schools and everything, but mm-hmm. you can't take the right. Let me tell you something. My dad, he, uh, and you remind me a little bit too, when you talk about your dad, my dad was a, uh, a boxer and he was a South pole. He was a golden glove, you know, oh, wow. and this man didn't take no crap like this. Yeah, so he, you know, I just think it's a bunch of crap. Um, it should be up to the parents um, to what goes on with these children and what she was talking about, the poverty and everything. You know, uh, I, I guess maybe our government that already has too much power should do something about that. I mean, they're dropping the ball there, but they're all getting rich. You know, they're, they're not taking care of our neighborhoods. I, I can't stand the Biden administration, and I hope I didn't go too far le- uh, right or left on that, but I just... I, I can't ah, take them. You're good, brother. Crazy. That's the purpose of Open Phone America for you to weigh in. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. We're doing it again tomorrow. And scheduled to be with us, Alfredo Ortiz from the Job Creators Network and Ian Pryor. Uh, he's got a brand new book out. You don't want to miss that. So let's do it again tomorrow. God willing. Don't go anywhere. There's more radio after me, but we'll do it again tomorrow. 
Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.